Welcome back to Modern Day Disciples, aka MDD, the podcast where we hear real stories from modern day disciples. My name is Kevin Bernaga. I'm the youth minister at St. Francis of Assisi Parish in San Jose, California. And my name is Ana Fuentes. I'm the youth minister at St. Anthony Parish in San Jose, California. Happy February. Dude, it's another month in 2020. Dude, thank God it's February. Um, How was your week? My week was, it was good. It started off really well. My highlight was actually at the beginning of the week. Oh, what's up? What's up? Um, so on Monday, uh, I had the pleasure of hanging out with three uh, three guys, three group, a group of oh. three guys. And so I was asked by um, John Kellett, who was our, um, pre- like he was a previous guest on this podcast, but he's getting married. Congrats, by the way, Annie and John. Yes, congrats <laughs> to Annie and John. And um, so I'm very humbled that he... And blessed that he asked me to be one of his groomsmen. So we had our very first groomsmen like outing, like bonding. Oh my gosh, um, so it's, I love it's, that. It's a small group. So John and then um, Nick Hightower and then uh, Mitchell Gale. And so just oh. all of us went to this um, cigar kind of oh place. and Such manly men. Yes, because that's <laughs> what men do. Um, and Smoke cigars. <laughs> so we, we just want to, to have some fellowship. And uh, we sat outside. It was a cold night on Monday. Um, but we we the first I guess bonding thing that we had to do was make a fire. Um, so the guy inside was like, "Here's like a cigar box, which is made out of all wood." And he goes, "Just start the fire. There's some wood outside." And all we had were just wooden matches, right? And we're like, "All right, like let's do this." There's so it some took, bonding right there. Yeah, it took thirty minutes, but we got the fire going. Um, and then when we settled in and started talking, this guy came over. His name was James, and he's from Virginia actually, and he's here for work and stuff. And he saw our fire, and he was like let me help you guys like kind of make this into an actual like, <laughs> fire, you know? Cause right now it's like a fire, but it was like <laughs> after he came, it was like a fire. And I was like, Ooh, it was so warm. And, oh um, my gosh. so it was a really good fellowship. He, he asked if we had an extra seat for him and he joined us. Uh, and we sat there for a few hours and just yeah, talked wow. to him. And he, we started, we don't usually, you know, talk about the faith, like out when, when there's someone else that we don't, we don't know, you know, of course. Yeah, you don't just dive into all that necessarily. And, and then, but sooner or later, I guess it's the spirit working, but our conversations led into talking about the faith. And mm. so he talked about how he was Christian and, um, and how just, how his faith really kind of taught him what's most valuable in his life, you know, and, oh, and how he amazing. should be treating his other, like his daughter, his, his wife. And it was just good, good conversation all around. Um, and so now we're just after that initial bonding, we're just planning out what else to do this year in preparation for his wedding and, um, how we can walk beside our brother, you know, as he's about to enter this sacrament. Yo, dude, that's super cool. I love how very intentional it is. I know that some bridal parties like might do, you know, you do your bachelor party, you do your bachelorette, but oftentimes there's not much beyond that in terms of either, not formation but just that bonding and getting to know one another and really evaluating how you can walk alongside either if you're if you're a groomsman walk along the groom Mm -hmm. or if you're a bridesmaid walking along the bride and just like journeying with them to that sacrament like that's powerful i'm so excited to just embark on that journey with him and that's so so rad so exciting um, but enough about me. How about, how about you? What was the highlight of your week? So, uh, I think you know about, you know about this highlight. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay. This is going to sound super strange, um, to some, but also wicked, wicked rad. So <laughs> to others, <laughs> to others. So this, this, we had, I hosted a party and okay, this makes it sound like I have parties at my house all the time and I don't really, but like 
I mean, I love having people over. And so this conversation was sparked um, with my teens, actually, where we were having this argument, what was better? Okay, let me just be very clear. There is a right answer here between double stuff Oreos and Oreo Thins. <laughs> there are people who like double stuff Oreos, mm-hmm. and then there are people who are wrong. <laughs> oh okay okay um and so it sparked this conversation with my teens we're all arguing over it and i was like hold on i'm gonna post on my close friend's insta story and i'm gonna post i need to know double stuff or oreo thins Mm. and honestly i really really thought that everyone was gonna say double stuff i was like i live in a world where people love double stuff and that is a right and just world (laughs) yeah but but there were people that like thins over double Whoa. stuff and i was so upset literally my friend marie like messaged me and was like who are your friends that are picking thins and i was like i know i need to get better friends <laughs> <laughs> wow sorry shots fired shots fired so all this debate started and then just really organically a group of friends um we were just talking again debating oreo thins or, or- double stuff oreos mm. and i was like what if what if we had an oreo party and so this kind of just spawned into this really just like crazy kind of party in which i had my roommates who live with me um a few friends from ministry as well as a few a few college friends um show up and everyone brought different oreos i think Mm. we had close to 20 ish different oreos we had deep fried oreos we had oreo thins we had double stuff oreos og oreos most stuff oreos chocolate oreos dark chocolate oreos Caramel coconut Oreos, peanut butter pie, peanut butter chocolate pie Oreos. Portuguese. Um, chocolate, yes, Portuguese Oreos, bañadas. <laughs> um, we had uh, chocolate marshmallow Oreos, mm. mint mint Oreos, um, fudge, fudge dipped mint, mud, Oreo. mint Oreos. Mud Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> no, like literally, I we didn't even have all of them. Like personally, I, I couldn't try all of them. It and then did we much. have something to wash it down? So we had every type of milk type beverage you can think of. We had 2% milk. We had 1%. We had whole milk. We had almond milk. We had oat milk. We had chocolate milk. Mm. Oh, but it was such a good time. I loved having like the collision of my different worlds, my ministry people, my college friends, my best friends um, from my from my friend group there, mm. um, my roommates, and just all these people come together just so organically and to share in our love of Oreos. <laughs> Like, who has an Oreo party? Like, that's so random, but it was just so amazing. Dude, it was so much fun. It was so rad. I loved it. it we've we've been in the talks about having another party, and we're trying to decide, like, what it should be. Should it like, be a Dorito party? Should it be Ooh. a Ben and Jerry's party? Ooh. Like, I'd let's just try ben all Jerry's the things. Party. It looked like we were YouTubers. Oh, it really did. <laughs> no, our whole setup. Like, like, our setup, I wish I could show you guys. Um, Follow me on Instagram. <laughs> And you'll see it. <laughs> and you'll see it. Um, no, it was a super rad time. And I don't know. I just, it was good fellowship and it was good. It was, it was some good freaking Oreos. It was good Oreos. Can I ask, yeah. what was your favorite? Oh, that's a good question. My favorite, I think my favorite out of all of them were the the fudge dipped mint ones. Oh. Those were really good. I didn't try those. I love mint and I love like. Just, see, okay. I yeah. tried the OG mint ones and I love mint chocolate chip ice cream. I, mm. I'm, I'm a fan of mint. But, but mint Oreos taste like toothpaste to me. Mm, then you won't like the fudge covered ones because <laughs> they're the same cookie. <laughs> I think my favorite at the party was the chocolate peanut butter pie ones. Oh, those were good. But I've since had them again. I had them with my teens. I had the chocolate marshmallow ones. Those were go freaking off. 
and they're, they're so good. And there's like pieces of there's marshmallow. Pieces of marshmallow inside. And, and it's like the Lucky Charms marshmallow. It's the yeah. fake marshmallow, which I low key, high key love. Yeah. It's Those amazing. are what real marshmallows are. Dude, yes. <laughs> um, we did on our high school ministry, we did like a, a blind taste test. Dude, I did that with my middle school kids. Did you really? Yes. So we blindfolded everyone and then we just did rounds and then they took off their blindfold and they wrote down what they thought and that they flavor was. Yeah. yeah that we flavor. did the same thing. The One, ones that they hated. What, what do they hate? Carrot cake. Oh, mm. that one. They it's were not, like, mm, it's not bad. Did you have it? I think I threw it in. The, yeah, I had it. It was the first one I tried at the party. Oh, and I was like, no, <laughs> no, it no, no, no. It doesn't taste like carrot cake to it me. Doesn't. It doesn't. It tastes like pumpkin. Yeah. Which I kind of like. It throws it throws me <laughs> off for some reason. <laughs> no, I mean, I couldn't have my friend Oliver said this. He said he couldn't. Carrot cake's dope, but he couldn't have an entire like it's not worth buying a packet of. Yeah. It's too much. Definitely. Um. No, that was a, that was a really fun party. Dude, I'm time. so glad you guys both came through. You and our guest. Can't wait for the next one. Ooh. Stay tuned, guys. It's going to be a highlight. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to get our podcast started with prayer? I would love to. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Loving and gracious God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the opportunity to participate in this ministry. We thank you for our listeners. We thank you that anyone and everyone, whoever tunes in, we thank you for them. We not only thank you that they listen, but we thank you that you have brought them on this earth, that you have brought them here. We pray in a special way for this podcast that whatever may be holding us back, whatever fears or doubts or things that prevent us from speaking truth, prevent us from speaking light into darkness, that you expel all of that. We rebuke all of that, Lord. Help us to have courage and strength to truly share, to truly share our stories, to truly share even our wounds, if that is what you so call us to, Lord. We pray that you continue to lead. We pray that you, we allow you to, to lead us Lord, we are, we are weak, we are very human, and we falter, but we know that through you, through your strength, that you are glorified, and people come to know your heart because you work through us, Lord. You continue to work through us. We pray in a special way for our speaker. We pray that you are with her and that you give her the strength to share what is on her heart, any fears that she may have, that you expel those you give her the strength to share her story and that you may be glorified through it. That others may know your heart, Lord. That others may come to know you, Jesus Christ, and build a relationship with you. That if they have strayed, that they can come home, Lord. There is power in this podcast. There is power in stories. And that is only because you allow us to do so. We thank you. We thank you for this podcast. We thank you that you continue to lead us each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Roll the intro. And we're back with episode five. Yo! We back and we back and we back. Dude, five episodes into this season. Dude, I'm so freaking hyped. For this guest? I'm stoked beyond freaking belief. Oh my gosh, I am too. Dude, okay, wait. So how how did you meet this guest? Oh, dude. I I hadn't 
I I've heard about this guest for so long and just like, you know, through, through just conversations, um, with a really, cl- with a close brother in Christ. And I'm like, I need to meet this person. I need to meet this person. And I think the first we've, we've like been in the same places just in passing. And okay, okay. we didn't like, I knew her, but I knew she didn't know me. So I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Like I'm not going to talk to her at all. Um, but then I went to um, their house for a Christmas party and so that was the first time I really got to to meet her and to have some conversation. But um, and we we went to like the coffee festival a few a few months ago. And um, yeah, it's just we've been growing in friendship ever since. But I'm very excited because this is the first time I really I'm going to really get to know, you know, her story and her like her faith journey. So Dude. how about you? What, how did you meet this person? So I actually vividly remember meeting this person. It was this fall. It was August. Mm-hmm. Um, it was at the songwriters round here oh. at SFOA. Yeah. And I was sitting next to Shay, our, our, one of our previous guests. I was sitting next to Shay. And I don't, I think I, I similar to you, I might have like heard of her, knew that she existed. But like, mm-hmm. that's all I knew. Yeah. This person walks in and I'm sitting next to Shay, one of our previous guests. And Shay was like, oh, this person's here. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you guys are going to be friends. You're going to have deep conversations. She just put that out there. No, and she said it so freaking matter of fact. She was like, oh, you guys are going to be friends. Very prophetically. You're going to have deep <laughs> conversations. And I was like, I mean, okay. Sure. <laughs> like, all right. Um, and so, you know, she walks up and we, we like introduce ourselves or whatever. Mm-hmm. We meet each other. Um, but there was a pivotal moment where I knew we were going to be friends. What was that? So songwriters round happened she sat behind shay and i um and after we it's we we were just we were very much just girls we just went to the restroom we were taking selfies it was it was a whole thing (laughs) okay (laughs) um but then at one point i don't know what prompted me to ask her this question but i'm gonna call it the holy spirit um but i just felt this call to ask her i was like if there was any part of nature that could emulate your soul, what would it be? Ooh. Also, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> Why would I ask that? Who am I? Like, I don't know where that question came from. Like, I've always asked people, like, how's your soul? Like, I want to really, like, know how people are doing. Yeah. But I just felt this call to ask her this question. And at the same time, because I was like, we, we answered it at the same time. Mm-hmm. We did like, okay, three, two, one. We both said the freaking ocean really yeah both of us like okay there's lots of things in nature the ocean is majestic as heck but like what are the odds that we would both say and like i was just like i literally turned um to this person's brother um and i was like yo she's tight like dude <laughs> we're gonna be friends like yo she was like i knew it <laughs> I knew it the whole time called it um yeah and then that later on that night we had just a very deep um deep and vulnerable conversation um very spirit-led um actually it was it was in a cemetery which is which is fine um oh. <laughs> randomly you know uh things that catholics do <laughs> and um yeah no i i knew that she was gonna be in my life ever since that moment that's awesome um shall we shall, shall we, we get, shall to, we, shall we just get so to it exciting. i can't wait to hear this person on the podcast oh my gosh so without further ado we, we have, have Chelsea Ocampo. What's up, everyone? <laughs> Yo, she got a podcast voice, though. I know, she's so hood. <laughs> she hood and holy. What's that? That's the way to go. <laughs> Yo, what's good? What's good with y'all? I'm good. Oh, oh my I'm a little nervous, but I've been praying about this this entire week since you both asked me during the Oreo party. <laughs> and 
Yeah, just with a lot of prayer and self-reflection, I really felt like this was the right time. And I feel as if God will use me and use my story as a way to speak to those that may need to hear it at this particular time. Amen. Dude, Already. Dude. Yeah, right? <laughs> yep, far beginning. That's awesome. Um, so Chelsea's official title, she is a registered marriage and family therapist, and she has been doing that for three years. Wow. Yeah. This is, I'm so hyped. <laughs> Um, okay, I just got a little FYI to the audience. We have a dog in the studio today, and she is wreaking havoc. If you have heard her, I apologize. Um, right now, she's trying to give Chelsea her bone. <laughs> yeah. um, but yes, Chelsea is a registered marriage and family therapist, um, and she's been doing that for three years. So we're completely honored to have her on the podcast, um, not only to share her story, but to share um, the scope of what she does and how she is leading people to Christ, even through her vocation as a therapist mm. um so do we do you want to do you want to dive into your story into if that's okay yeah um <clears throat> so just like a lot of people who have been interviewed here i come from a catholic family mm. and what people don't know is that i went to catholic education from first through eighth grade back in saint john the baptist in milpitas and then after that, I went to a public school for the rest of my education career. Okay, okay. so what what school did you, public school did you go to? I went to Milpitas High. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then I went to San Jose State for the rest of my college career. And I think for me, it was such a transition to come from a Catholic school for those eight years and then to, you know, meet new friends and to immerse myself in different types of people in public school. I mean, it's it's a big change. It was a big change for me. So how, for those that don't know, um, how big was St. John's Catholic school? Like you said K through eighth, right? Uh, for me, first through eighth. Okay, first, first through eighth. Yeah. Okay, so how, like, what was your classroom size? Like, what was the scope, the difference between like high school and, and that school? Yeah, it was very intimate. Mm. I think on average, one classroom had around like 30 to 32 students. Whoa. Okay. So, and you're with them the whole time? Yeah, you're with them the whole time. Like you grow up together. We grew up together. Okay. Whoa. Yeah. Did you get tired of them? Um, <laughs> <laughs> She's trying to be nice. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful relationship because you get to see them like when they're five years old and then mm. by the time you're in eighth grade you guys are adolescents and you're 13 and yeah. you're just going through all the phases of life um shout out to ariana kempis jenny rose's cousin she oh. was actually in uh in all my classes at oh. the Baptist, so. i had i didn't even know that yeah is that angelica's awesome. angelica's cousin her cousin what too dude what small world Wild. so how is the how is the transition from from sjb to it was big guys it was really hard i think i still remember vividly my first day of high school was really rough because i knew of people but i didn't have the same dynamic and relationship that obviously people would have upon going to the same junior high or like same elementary mm. and then um freshman year there's this big event at milpitas high called trojan olympics oh, okay and okay. so what it is is basically the battle of classes so freshman oh, sophomore junior senior and um my brother Ravi actually influenced mm. me to do it. And I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a really shy person. Okay. And so to do that was kind of outside of my comfort zone. And um, I did it. And that was the beginning of just making wonderful friendships. It really put me out of my comfort zone, but it gave me the opportunity to meet some wonderful people. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what did that entail? Like, what was the, the event? Like, what did you guys do? So um, the event consisted of one. So we get themes for each class. So, yeah. for example, freshmen get Michael Jackson or sophomores get um, a type of movie like Grease. Oh. And so you would have to do a 
choreographed dance and then a skit was there a skit involved no skit just oh, a dance okay. and then yeah. after that you would just battle of you know random games games like yeah. group games and stuff. so mm-hmm. Charles, do you dance you know what i do <gasps> oh okay. i do um i don't anymore but i mean i think i think i got rhythm you know <laughs> okay, okay. That's yeah. awesome. so i dance for like 10 to 12 years and i i did ballet i did tap i did jazz yo what the heck i I don't tell anyone that but if you go to my house um there are some pictures that my parents put up right above our screen door and people make fun of me all the time um and it's there so yeah i have proof that i dance for x amount of years oh man that's awesome i had no idea so we want to really dive into how you encountered christ for the first time and how that has really shaped shaped your entire life since then. So yeah. where, I mean, you said you grew up Catholic. Was it like you kind of like went to church because mom and dad were forcing you or how did that transition into mm-hmm. the person you are today? Yeah. Um, so growing up, my mom was so devoted and she still is devoted. Um, I've been very blessed to come from like a lineage of people who had such a deep devotion to Our Lady. Mm-hmm. And so it stemmed from my grandmother who had passed away and then she transferred it over to my mom who then transferred over to me. And so growing up, um, yeah, like I was forced to go to church every Sunday. And I think there was a point in my adolescence where I just, it felt so tiring to go. And I would make excuses that I had homework or I felt tired. And it could have been very easy for me to not want to go on a weekly basis. And um, I think in high school was the beginning steps of me really understanding what our faith entailed. So in high school, um, there was a youth group that all my friends were involved in, and it's mm-hmm. called the Youth for Christ. Okay. And every Friday, it was um, consisted of weekly meetings at our parish, and a lot of my friends attended it. And there was a point where a lot of them were just saying, Chelsea, you have to come through. You have to come through. And obviously, you give in to peer pressure, right? <laughs> yeah. It's and a good peer pressure. You know, it's, it's come a good to peer pressure. Come to church. Come, come to, to church, church, right? And I knew about it. Um, my brother was very involved and still is in youth ministry. And my aunt, who is my mom's sister, mm. and her husband were the couple coordinators. So I had no excuse to not say no, like I don't want to go. So yeah. um, I took the risk and I went to meetings and I loved it. It was, it was a great experience. And then I think in high school, there was a point where my peers began to become leaders. So they would become uh, discussion group leaders. They would serve at retreats. They would go to conferences. And upon them asking me whether or not I wanted to go, there was always this uneasy feeling for me. Okay. And I never went. I I went to the graduation YFC retreat, which was wonderful. But upon that, I've never served. I've never served. Do you know where that like why or like there's is there yeah like at the moment i didn't know why and Mm. i think it was out of fear out of insecurities out of what do i have to offer Mm. to these young teens right and for me it was it wasn't until college where i really began to reflect on that and as i reflected on it and i as i prayed about it more there was a point where i asked myself man like if 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 i was able to remind time would I have said the same answer? In college, I reflected a lot during my prayer time on those times in high school. Mm. And the question that I asked myself was, well, if I had the opportunity again to serve, and if my peers during high school asked me the same question, what would I say? Mm. And I couldn't answer it. Mm. I couldn't answer it for some reason. 
And I think for me, I I know myself very well and I never want to put myself in a situation where I feel forced. And I think that was one recognition that I had in high school, that if I didn't feel ready, if I felt pressured, then I wouldn't do it. But yeah. on the outside perspective, it looked like, why isn't she doing it? Mm-hmm. Right? She has some things to offer. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people probably had their own preconceived notions as to why I didn't do it. But for me personally, I think I knew where my heart was. And I think I knew that it wasn't my time yet. Okay. So I feel like that's really powerful to say no. Yeah. I feel like oftentimes, I mean, I, I don't know. I personally struggle with saying no to everything. <laughs> um, but no, I think really answering the call and like knowing that like, it wasn't your time to serve in that way. And like recognizing, especially at such a young age when you're in high school and everyone else is doing something Mm -hmm. like that's very difficult to do. Like that's powerful. Especially people that you grew up with and was part of that ministry and seeing them rise up to, to leadership roles and wanting to encourage you. But if you didn't feel like, you know, it was your place to yet, or you didn't feel comfortable in that position, then it's very, yeah. So how, so what did your faith look like in college? In college, it was it was still lukewarm, to be honest with you. Um, I would attend church on a weekly basis and and obviously pray when I, I think that it was the right time to do it or when I really needed our Lord to come through for me. But aside from that, it was it was lukewarm. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, when you both had asked me whether or not I want to do the podcast on Saturday, I really took this week to self-reflect on the past six years. So from 2014 up until now, 2020, I think this was the time frame where my faith was finally alive again. Mm. So 2014, I remember being at home and my brother was coming home from a retreat that he had attended with some brothers in Christ. Mm. And he's been to many, but I think this one, I just knew that there was something that happened during that retreat where it was the beginning of of everything else Mm. and I remember vividly my brother walking down the hallway of our home going in his room and he went to his bookshelf he has a really he has a lot of books in his room and he had uh he had a trash bag and he started like throwing many books many books and I was laughing to myself because at the time, obviously, I wasn't in the right state. And I was mm-hmm. like, yo, you look like Santa Claus right now. Like <laughs> with a big old bag like on his shoulders and he was just ready to throw it out. Yeah. And what I what I soon realized is that he was throwing out books that didn't really encapsulate the, the fullness of the truth. And from then on, everything started to change very gradually, not only for me, but for my entire family. Really? Yeah. Um, in... In 2014, I remember the idea of doing the rosary just felt so daunting and very tiresome for me. Mm. It felt like a prayer that lasted many, many hours, and it was something that I knew I struggled with in terms of making it a consistent thing to do in my week. And after that retreat, I remember my brother just introducing it very slowly for my family. And in the evening time, we have this altar in our home uh, where the living room is, and we would pray the rosary every night. And I remember doing it. I just felt, I felt the same feelings. I felt like this is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels really long. And in my head, I can, I can recite the prayer, but I wasn't, 
I don't think I was fully invested yet. Mm. And, you know, I think as one grows in the faith, you have to be consistent too. And as our family headed in that direction, my life suddenly just changed. And I can't even pinpoint when, how, or where, but I just knew 2014 was the beginning of everything for me as well. And um, I think now looking back, I see where God had intervened for my family. And I think it, it it's important to have an encounter story, story for yourself, but I think it's one thing to also do it with your family. Yeah. And I think that's what made it so powerful for me, my brother, and my parents. So fast forward, um, the rosary was something that was very, it was a part of our routine every night. And um, my brother and his best friend, they did the, the consecration. And it was always a conversation that was brought up in our day-to-day check-ins on whether or not I felt ready to do it. In 2014, there was a lot of conversation about consecrating ourselves to Jesus through Mary. And I knew my brother was doing it with some, some of his brothers in Christ. And the question that was posed to me was, well, you know, do you feel ready to do it as well? Like, do you feel like this is your time to also consecrate yourself to Jesus through Mary? Mm-hmm. And I, just like how I was in high school, I, I knew it wasn't the right time yet. Yeah, I didn't want to do it because someone was forcing me again or telling me that it's the right thing to do, but I really wanted to let the Holy Spirit lead me in that direction when the time is right. Mm-hmm. So um, in 2014, I didn't do it. And then here comes 2015 in November. Okay. November. And I was very intentional on starting in November because the the consecration date would land on January 1st of 2016. And the reason why is because I want to consecrate my entire 2016 to Jesus through Mary. I wanted that year to be the year where my faith wasn't lukewarm anymore. But actually, it was something that I wanted to incorporate in my day-to-day life, Mm -hmm. in my personal and both professional journey as well. I mean, I can relate in a way that my my first consecration date was Mary, Mother of God as well. And I was told by by a brother that um, when you consecrate on that day, you're also consecrating your whole family um, for that year. Mm -hmm. And there was just something about, about that, that, you know, you're not just doing it for yourself, but you're also you know, the people that are closest to you, your loved ones. But that's amazing. Yeah. So 2016 was the first time. 2016 was the first time. And in that year, I began to notice changes in myself too. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to go to church. I didn't feel like I had to go because my mom was forcing me. I didn't want to go to adoration just because, you know, close friends were going or family members wanted to go. But really to be with our Lord alone and to grow in in that union with him, with no pressure on on me from like free from free from how other people would want yeah. to yeah this is just for you like this you is just felt that me. call i felt that call wow and so how was it in terms of like what about the consecration process if you if you if you don't mind um that changed like your prayer life and your devotions yeah because i i will i mean i don't know if i've told either of you this um it was in college when um, a lot of my friends were doing the consecration process and very similar to, to you in 2014. I didn't like, 
I felt pressure to do it because everyone else was doing it. Like mm-hmm. you're not Catholic enough if you don't if you don't consecrate yourself. Mm-hmm. And like that was like the vibes that I was getting. Like yeah. from it was, it was that's it was a lot of peer pressure. And the reason I didn't do it, I started it actually. Um, and the reason I didn't do it at the time um, was because it was all ego for me. It was like, oh look at me, I'm super Catholic. I'm doing this thing and I'm great. And so I actually John Kellett recently encouraged me to try again um, because I. Honestly, I think that le- that left me a little shell-shocked and like scared almost to do it, to try again, just because I knew that my pride was getting in the way. So, I mean, for those that don't know, for those who haven't been consecrated, what was that process like and how did it change your life? For me, I mean, it has some daily prayers and daily questions that you are able to reflect on um, from a theological standpoint and having it reflect on the ways that it impacts your, your day-to-day life as well. But I think for me, I made it, I made it a goal to incorporate the rosary along with that every single day. And through Our Lady's intercession, everything from day one until the very last day of my consecration, like, I, I don't, I don't know, I can't pinpoint exactly what it was about it, but I think that dedication to really offer up all your suffering, all your intentions, and knowing that the end goal is to be ever closer and in union with our Lord was was it for me. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so since then, you've been praying the rosary more often on your own? On my own. I mean, some days, obviously, they're, they're difficult days of where course. I just, it's just tiresome and I, yeah. I don't make the time, but it's my favorite prayer. Mm. It's my favorite prayer. And so much so that Our Lady of Peace just feels like home to me. Feels like home. I used to go to church at St. John's. I used to go to um, St. Victor's and all these other parishes where my brother's probably doing music. But Our Lady of Peace was, it just brought me back. It brought me back. And I think the fact that it has the opportunities to go to reconciliation during every mass was something that really captivated my heart and my soul and to really be in a state of grace to receive our lord um ever more fully every time i would go to mass that's amazing so we said before in the um beginning of the episode that you are a registered marriage and family therapist yeah so would you say that you have a deep desire to bring healing to those afflicted by maybe wounds or, or memories or, or trauma in any sense? And how, how in any way do you, do you incorporate your faith to your job? Because it could be, I mean, you never know who you'll be ministering, ministering, quote unquote, to. How does your faith change your job? How does your faith yeah. change the way you interact with your clients, the way you listen, the way you talk to them? Mm. How has your relationship with Christ changed that? It influences every aspect of my job. Really? every aspect um to be completely vulnerable with you so i went to a secular university for my master's program and it trained me very well um it is it's a very competitive program to get into just considering that they only accept maybe 12 to 14 students per year Whoa. but i just knew um i knew that this was this was the vocation that god wanted me to to embark upon um, during that time of just discernment on whether or not I really wanted to do this for my career. And during my practicum year of grad school, which is basically when you you start 
um, gathering hours, face-to-face hours with your clients, I got to admit, I mean, when, when I would discharge a client, mm-hmm. there would be a sense of pride. And I would tell myself, yeah, like, I did it. Yeah. I did it. Like I was able to to utilize everything that was that was taught to me in school, and I was able to heal this person, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that quickly um, turned into a level of heaviness that I've never felt before. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, I think being in the mental health field, there's obviously um, there are obviously chances for for burnout, yeah. right? And, and I can differentiate between burnout and just this sense of heaviness that I'm feeling interiorly. And what I mean by that is, you know, in my beginning, in my beginning year of entering as a burgeoning therapist, the reason why I felt heaviness is because I was relying on myself mm. for healing yeah. for my clients when it shouldn't have been that way the entire time. And I think as I recognized that, as I grew ever closer in my faith, I realized that God, I wanted him to use me now mm. as an instrument and a vessel to heal his beloved sons and daughters. Wow. And as I shifted that perspective, everything, to be honest with you, just felt lighter. And especially in the job that I have now, like there are days where I don't want to see anyone. Yeah. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to associate myself with anyone because I'm just tired. I'm mentally exhausted. And then when I'm in my car, sometimes before I go back home and I recognize what I learned back at that time where it's not, it's never of me. Mm. It's always, it's always in his desire and his love for, for these clients that he's, that he's bringing to me where I can, I can feel a sense of, like interior healing for them. And my hope is that I can exude Christ's love in the way that he has for me, for my clients every single day. Wow, amen. I feel like, I mean, we've had conversations about this before. I just, because I have several friends who are MFTs. People make fun of me because they say I have a friend type. I have like three different friends who are MFTs. Um, <laughs> but I always like, I don't know, I've, I've asked multiple friends who, who do or are, going to do therapy or currently do therapy just like how do you manage to carry all that because I know that you're probably instructed to separate what's like your job and your home life balance all that stuff but it's like how I mean I mean it's amazing to hear you share that because it's Christ Christ is the way that you're able to separate Christ is the way that you're able to be like they need Christ's love and like you're exuding that by the way you do your job like that is amazing i think that takes such strength to step out of the way because we as humans we want to be the ones that heal people we yeah. want to be the ones that fix people to like, take oh, that like take that credit, credit. Yeah. yeah like look what i did but for you to step out of the way and be like no no god you do this because i'm weak i'm drained i can't handle this like that is amazing yeah it's like, really hard and i think we're, we're actually in a time where I think mental health is actually, it, it's being talked about more. And I think that's, that's a great time for our, our young teens and young adolescents, even young adults to be exposed to. But to be honest with you, I think the, the terminology self-care is something that I think just gets jumped around a lot. Yeah. And especially for clinicians and therapists, it's a word that we have to incorporate in our practice every day. And self-care can look different for a lot of people. Um, for me, it's it's really recognizing not only 
what I'm feeling interiorly, but also physically as well. And once I'm able to do that, to do things that kind of bring me back to this balanced life. So whether that's going in adoration, whether that's spending time with people that you know, know your heart, um, that's enough for me to prepare myself for the next week. So you talked a little bit about how your faith has intrinsically influenced the way in which you do your therapy, the way has influenced every way in which you do your therapy. Um, When did you first feel called um, to be a marriage and family therapist and what did that call look like and what was that moment like when it shifted like this is what I'm supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I remember where I was. I remember what I did when I got home and it was the year of 2013. So fall of 2013, I had taken an abnormal psychology class and so it was kind of like my first exposure to um, the the variety of mental disorders that one can go through. Okay. And the professor that I had, um, you know, back in college, you go and rate my professor. Right? Yeah. Oh, Obviously. for before sure. You, before, before you <laughs> take your classes, you have to go through. Yeah. You got to see what's up. You, you have gotta, to see yeah. what you're getting yourself into, right? Yeah. yeah. And this professor had phenomenal ratings. And I, I, took, that, I, I took that into consideration and I, I registered for his class. And guys, like the the very moment where he spoke about where he spoke about mental illness and human suffering, I was completely moved. Mm. I was so moved that I remember going home and I told my brother and I told my mom, like, this is what I want to do. Wow. I feel called to do this and so much so I want to go to grad school. Wow. So what year were you in college when that happened? I was a soft uh a junior in college. A junior in college. Oh, a junior in college. Okay. So I still had two years left mm-hmm. to, to finish up that degree. And it was it was a moment in my life where I just felt at peace. And I think God blesses everyone with particular charisms. And looking back now, I really firmly believe, with no pride, but I think he, he blessed me with the, the charism of counsel. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that comes very natural for me, it's to utilize that gift for the salvation of souls. And for me to recognize that and have that be the way in which I work with my clients, everything just change. It changes. Yeah. It changes not only me, but I think my clients can can sense the love and care and patience that I have for them when I'm able to utilize it from that perspective. You know, reflecting on my encounter story, I really feel as if this was a, a pivotal moment for me where I just knew this is what I this is what I wanted to do. And the professor that I had, I liked his his leadership and the way that he talked about it so much that I decided to take former other classes from him. Wow. I wanted to be led by him. That's amazing. And along the way, he ends up being the director of the master's program that no I way. graduated from, which is even even greater because something that was instilled in my heart, something that I knew just felt so right. Now you're entering into this into this area of your life where you're you're formed even even deeper and more fully. So, what about therapy was attractive to you? Because, like, I. I started off um, in my undergrad with a psychology major. Did you really? <laughs> I did because I thought 
well I, I i love people and i wanted to understand more about how people function and and why it's fascinating yeah no absolutely the way they function the way they do um i took psych one i took psych two and then i tried statistics oh that's <laughs> that'll get you um and then there was another psych class i don't even remember i think i might have dropped it but it got too sciencey mm. <laughs> like i was like i love people but like Let's talk about their feelings in like a soul kind of way, yeah. in a yeah. in a very yeah. theological kind of way. And then I was like, ah, religious studies. Just let's just do religious studies, <laughs> not just do religious studies. Like, no, no, no. Let's, let's do, do religious, religious studies. studies. Yeah. Um. Sure. But yeah, what called you to like? What about it was attractive? Like, was it the the helping people, the very realness of human suffering, um, acknowledging that reality and and knowing that there is a need for people to to be there on the margins with those with those in need what about it like stirred in your heart it's all of that it's Ooh. all of that all of the above all of the above mm -hmm. and i think during that time i just knew our culture has such a big stigma around mental health huge and huge stigma yeah. and depending on the culture that you come from it's it's looked down upon mm -hmm. and people call you crazy they think that you can't you know why do you have to talk to a professional to help to help yourself with your problems that you're going through, yeah. why can't you just talk to me, mm -hmm. right? And I just recognized that growing up, it was very, very natural for me to be that person for other people that um, that people would pour their problems to. And it just came very natural for me. And I knew that if I furthered my education, I was able to utilize that not only in my family anymore, but to complete strangers, mm -hmm. right? And but above all of that, I think what really gravitated me towards the field is the powerful connection between the therapist and the client. Mm. It's an interesting relationship, right? I think a lot of people that have been interviewed here, they do youth ministry and mm -hmm. they're at a particular parish. My youth ministry looks a little bit different. What does it look like? It's, it's a very intimate one-to-one -one connection that you get to see on a weekly basis, mm -hmm. you get to see them where they're at the, the lowest point of their lives six months later, one year later, a year and a half later, and you see another person. Mm -hmm. right? And for me, it's, it's so intimate. It's so sacred where I sometimes lose myself in the sessions. I lose myself because it's never of me. As I said earlier, I allow Christ to use me through and through to, to lead the way and to give me the words and to give me the guidance to really meet them, meet them where they're at, meet them in their suffering, but at the same time to love them in their suffering as well. Mm -hmm. And I think when I'm able to, to do that in sessions, there's a powerful, there's a powerful connection that is brought forth, not only for me, but for my clients as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I want to emphasize for my, my older adolescent clients, for those that have a, a grip on what exactly they want to get out of therapy, this is something, this is just a little a little sample of what I tell them. Mm -hmm. There's a talk that I was inspired by back in the summer of 2018. It was by Father Mike Schmitz. Okay. Love that guy. He's so cool, Ascension right? Ascension Press. Yeah, Ascension <laughs> Press. Go subscribe to them on YouTube. Um, he's this really awesome Catholic priest who is able to just talk about topics that really he's able to talk about topics that in a way that makes me understand the, the subject matter even more fully. Oh, yeah. And there's this talk that he gave about uh, vulnerability and transparency. Mm. Right. 
And I remember listening to that talk and I was able to take what he said and to utilize that in my sessions. And it's powerful. So this is what I share in sessions for my older clients. Yeah. Um, I usually bring in a fish tank. I know it sounds ridiculous. Oh, like a full on. I mean, it's, it's a little fish tank and oh, okay. I don't have real fish in it. It's just huh. a visual thing that I do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know Anna's laughing right now. <laughs> okay, I'm not, I'm, will, not, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just, I'm admiring your eccentricities. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's just for visual purposes. Yeah. yeah. So, you ha- so you bring a fish. It's fish just a tank, little yeah. fish tank. And uh-huh. I put it in the center of our table. And in it is just fake plants and, you know, a lot of fake everything. Is there, is there water? There's water. Okay, cool. Yeah, there's real water. water? There's real water. Yeah. Just wow. no fishes. So I bring in a fish tank into sessions and a lot of my clients look at me like I'm crazy. And I love it. I love seeing the reactions because I never, I never disclose why I bring it into sessions. Mm-hmm. And for my older adolescents, before we delve into individual therapy, there's this, there's this um, part in therapy where you're gathering a lot of assessment information. Mm-hmm. So once I'm finished with that, there's a session in between assessment and individual therapy where I just I want to talk to them about what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. Right. So there's this fish tank in the middle of us. And I usually I ask them whether or not they're able to differentiate between the words transparency and vulnerability. Ooh. Whoa. I feel like uh, I feel like. Uh, right. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 overwhelming sometimes because like Chelsea, why are you asking me this? Dude, those, I mean, you said like older adolescents and I'm over here like an adult and like, <laughs> I know I'm like. <laughs> Uh, I feel like as tra- transparency, I, how I would answer, answer it, no, how I, I would answer it, if you no. were to ask me, I'd be like, what's the difference between transparency and vulnerability? I feel like transparency is w- in when, s- when you can, you know, when you can read somebody and it's like, they're just so trans, like you you could just tell even like, I could tell that Anna's in her head Yes, just by her, like the way that she's like, <laughs> you know, why was that? An example? <laughs> <laughs> but vulnerability is, I feel like the willingness to share um, more, you know, I don't know if that's right, but that's how I would decipher it. I think I would, I would go along the same lines where it's like transparency is like more, even more so like here are facts or like here are like, I'm, I'm tr- being transparent about where I'm at right now. This is like objectively where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Whereas vulnerability is a choice. Like, no, no, no. Like here's a little more, here's a little deeper. Here is my heart. Mm. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And I usually ask my clients, what is transparency to you? Mm-hmm. Some of them are very confident, a little overly confident. Hey, Chelsea, it's, you know, the ability to see through something. And I was like, yes. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So what do you see right now? What do you see in that fish tank? Right? So they usually say, you know, I see I see plants. Sometimes they're they're in their head and they, they imagine seeing a fish in there. So they say, like, I see a fish. And I was like, great. Like, you get it. And then the therapist, Chelsea, comes in, and I really emphasize vulnerability now. Mm. I said, well, what's vulnerability to you? And oftentimes they don't know. They said, I can't even pronounce the word, right? Mm. They, they've never heard it or they've heard it, but they can't really elaborate further on what it means. Yeah. And then I tell them, well, look at the fish tank again. Now imagine you're in there, right? You're in that little fish tank. You're, you're just like a little fish in there. Now this is, is, it's a different concept where you're in there and now you're inviting me in to swim with you in that tank. In wherever the journey leads us, right? You're inviting me in. 
And whenever I explain it in that way, I don't. I think if I were working with ad, ad, adult populations, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even bring that fish tank in. They would get the concept. But having that visual thing in the middle of us really helps them process what those words mean, and how eventually, when they invite me into their suffering, that's when healing can happen, mm-hmm. right? And whenever therapy sessions are are almost over, like by the time where they can graduate services, we always reflect back on that session, which is really beautiful. I didn't know the impact that it had to to really help them understand those two words and what it me- what it meant in the therapeutic relationship. But I think when one is able not to just go to therapy because they're forced, but to really come to terms with this is this is a really special relationship. Mm. And by my courage and by my active choice to be vulnerable with a complete stranger, it's actually bringing forth so much interior healing that we didn't see in the beginning. Wow. And for that for me as a therapist is something I hope to do for every client. Yeah. Every client. Every client that is given to me, either through a referral, I knew I know there's a reason why God wanted them to be working with me and every time I meet them every time I I encounter them in sessions I say Hail Mary in my head I say Hail Mary through my head because I want to entrust everything back to the hands of Our Lady and to really protect them and hold them in her mantle of protection yeah wow I couldn't help but when you were describing when you were speaking I just I couldn't help but when we were listening to you speak, I just thought naturally, like you were, I know you were talking about therapy sessions, but I was just thinking about reconciliation and kind Ooh. of the, that sacrament of reconciliation. Yeah. When um, True we healing. invite, when you invite our Lord in to that suffering, that's when healing begins. Exactly. Right, what you said. And, and what's crazy is that in what's a little different, I guess, with, with therapy. And I mean, now I see kind of similarities, but I guess the difference is, is that being able to be vulnerable and open up to a stranger um, can can be a huge impact on your life. Imagine being vulnerable and opening up to someone who knows you through and through. You know, because when you go to reconciliation, you you're not talking to a stranger, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, and and God gifted us that sacrament to to heal us, mind, body, and soul. Exactly. Right? So it just all comes. It comes all, full circle. It does. It's it beautiful. really does. Yeah. That really hit my heart just this concept of like to be vulnerable with someone who knows you through and through Mm. is so powerful and i know we've i feel like that's been a theme recently along these podcasts really um but vulnerability takes strength and like i think the reason why your clients are able to open up is because you encourage them in that way you give them the opportunity to be vulnerable to share their wounds and it is in sharing wounds. Mm-hmm. It is in sharing the hurts, the struggles, the pain when they can be truly healed. Because when you, not that I'm speaking from like personal experience at all. No, no sorry. No, it's not what I'm doing. Um, but when you bottle that stuff up, when you isolate yourself, when you try to keep people out, that healing, that healing doesn't happen. It can't mm-hmm. happen. It hurts and it's going to hurt more and it gets worse. And sometimes you like break down a little bit and it's not so good totally not talking about myself here but 
when somehow people whether it be friends or if you so have the courage to go to therapy whatever it is when you allow yourself to be vulnerable with another truly vulnerable that's when the healing can begin and that's that's when lives can change completely yeah can i can i also commend you for like just i know i know naturally like you you explained before that um counseling just comes natural to you um, but I think just hearing how passionate you are about about your job and your this your ministry really your ministry it's just it's just so inspiring because I feel like I would want if I were to go to therapy I would I would hope that my therapist would I want Chelsea yeah I, 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 I would have the same like just I don't know just the same passion the same drive and fire and the same morals and mindset yeah. that you have and um, it's just when it comes to being a therapist it's also you also have to have great patience great compassion um and it's just it's not something light so that's amazing like yeah. it's just so inspiring and what i see in in you in particular the reason that you're able to to do what you do and do it so well is you care so deeply for people chels mm. like you have such a heart for others and you wouldn't you wouldn't have the vocation that you do if you didn't care. You wouldn't have such an effect on their lives if you didn't care. If you went in there and be like, oh, it's my job, I'm just gonna do what I'm supposed to do because I'm supposed to do it. It's like, no, no. Like the reason they're able to open up, the reason they are able to experience true healing is because you deeply care. And I know that that's the spirit working through you. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing to witness. Like, I, I feel, uh, we, I think... I can speak for both Kevin and myself that we feel so honored to know you. Definitely. I'm so happy to have someone so formed in the faith on the forefront of mental health. Oh yeah. That's yeah, yeah. exactly. And just focused on fighting that stigma. Um, because even here, like I was, I was sharing with Chelsea off the podcast that um, at St. Francis, I know we talked about it before that we started a mental health ministry here and it's crazy that it's, we've been doing it for a year now. Um, and what you're talking about, about, you know, cultural, like, you know, views of, of this stigma is we've had a specific community. We've offered twice um, a workshop for after after this community's mass, they could come into these rooms that we're in right now and the, we would have a doctor here, a, like a professional and a bunch of like pe like students that are, are training and learning um, and they were going to give a presentation to, to the community. Um, I think it was twice in a row nobody showed up aftermath nobody wow. wanted to learn about about mental health um and and um sp with their specific um ethnicity or community and um it just showed us that like we still have a lot to do and a lot to grow um because it's it's yeah it's I difficult know. and i i'm just gonna to speak very vulnerably um pr about my personal experience with with mental health and therapy and all that in that i mean i'm mexican I've always been Mexican and growing up, there's this concept. I mean, this isn't to put my family on blast. I think culturally it's just kind of how it is. But I remember like, oh, no, 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 you don't go to therapy. You deal with your ish on your own. Yeah. Like you don't go talk to someone else about it. That's something yeah. that you deal with, with your family. Oh, no, no, no we're, we're strong. That's yeah. weak. You're weak if you go to therapy. Like mm -hmm. I heard these things like my dad's a freaking counselor. My dad is a <laughs> high school counselor. Like it never came from him but just culturally like in the latino culture it, there's this stereotype that like 
you don't go to therapy because you're strong like that somehow it's strength not to go no no i think it's strong to go to therapy most definitely and i i just i i struggle i still struggle with that i still struggle with the concept of like i don't know like seeing it like seeing it in that way because it still carries that stigma especially in some cultures it still still carries that stigma that like why would you go to someone else when you could deal with your problems on your own it's like that's so toxic and oh i've also gosh. heard people say like you're strong in your faith why don't you just talk to god about it He'll oh. heal you. Yeah. you know god will heal you like you're like just go pray Oh you know, go gosh. spend some time in adoration, go to mass and it'll just go away. And it's like, it's like, no, some no. things are mental health issues that need mental health professionals. Yeah. Exactly. Like that's just a fact of the matter. Yeah. Exactly. And I want to emphasize that being in the mental health field is not easy. I think every day you're, you're being exposed to things that are not the same every single day. Yeah. And for me, you know, being, being in the side of therapy where you're the professional, where you're helping other people all the time, every day, all day, every day, um, there has to be a level of self-reflection after work. Oh, definitely. I was going to ask, how do you, I mean, your job is for people to unload their, their weight There's on you, their everything. cross. Yeah. And so how do you, how do you, you know, stay motivated and keep up with all of that? And how do you un, unload unpack that? Everything. Yeah, unpack yeah. that. Being the therapist chair is not without its challenges. Mm. And I think, there's a point in one's career where you tell yourself, like, I got it. I got it down. I feel confident in doing this work. For me, I do feel that way at times, but there are also moments where it's just difficult. It's difficult to reflect on the cases that have been given to me. And I think one thing that I learned being in the mental health field is that I actually don't have everything together. I don't. And it's easy for my clients to, to, to feel and believe that I do. Mm. But I even tell them, like, I'm not perfect. And I can't heal you. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of pressure from parents saying, Chelsea, like, therapy's not working. Yeah. What can you do to like, make it? fix my child. Yeah, fix my child. Like, I'm going to give them to you. Yeah. And there's a lot of pressure. Mm. And I think the, the biggest lesson that I learned, too, is that when I'm outside of this role, and when I go home, when I'm spending time with friends, it's very easy for me to give them superficial answers. Okay. So if someone were to ask me, how's your day, Charles? How's your heart? How's your soul? I usually tell them everything's good. Everything is dandy. I don't need advice. I don't need your help or guidance on anything. And I recognize that. And I think it's because it's so easy for me to be in that therapist hat and to be in that therapist role, helping other people. Whereas when I go home and I have all these cases in my mind, it's hard for me to seek help. And I recognize that. And I think that's where the power of virtuous friendships really come into play. When someone is able to, to look at you, to be very intentional and in saying, you know, Kev, how's your heart? Anna? How are you doing? How's your week? And if you're able to establish a level of trust with that individual, there's a lot of healing that can actually um, come from that. And in this season of my life, praise God, I'm so thankful for the friendships he's given me. Mm. Because there are some people that have asked me that, and I no longer say I'm good. I no longer say that I have everything together, because I don't. And I think 
the lessons that I'm teaching my clients where I'm telling them, hey, be vulnerable. I myself couldn't even do it at that time. And in this season of my life, I can now say with confidence that, you know, not with everyone, but of course, people that you trust, I want to reveal my heart to them. And I want them to know I'm not perfect. Mm. I don't have it all together. But in Christ, like everything is possible. Amen. Everything is possible. No amount of suffering, no amount of, of, of sins that I'm going through or um, difficulties that I have both in my personal and professional life will, will ever stray his love away from me. And I'm just very grateful that our Lord was ever so patient with me in these last six years because I didn't recognize this when I was 12, when I was 16, when I was 20. And if there's anything that I hope anyone who's listening to this podcast is that God works so beautifully in his timing. And just because your friend, just because your youth minister seems to have it all together, like, don't worry, like your time will come because that's exactly what happened to me. Like he captured my heart and I am forever changed. I just, I think Kevin and I are both struck at just how changed you are. The person sitting before us, the Holy Spirit is absolutely on fire in your heart. Without Christ, you couldn't have said anything you just said. my heart is just completely pierced right now that was very vulnerable of you so i thank you for your vulnerability i thank you for sharing that i think um that definitely spoke to our hearts and we we know that that would speak to someone out there um we pray that it speaks to someone out there um as well so as a follow-up question um if somebody was unsure about whether or not to go to therapy how would you how would you encourage them to go or what would you say to them? I guess I would say, take the risk. Mm. Simply that. Take the risk. Take the risk. Um, you know, being in this profession is yes, it's difficult, mm. but it's one of the most profound and sacred experiences that I've had the privilege of really taking part in with my clients. For me, especially with what we talked about earlier in terms of having that level of sensitivity, depending on what culture they come from, I usually frame it as, you know, we get we get yearly checkups medically, we get dental mm-hmm. you know, appointments every six months, and what's not addressed is our emotional and mental well-being. That's true. That's the very last thing that people talk about. And it has to do with Sigma. It has to do with one's culture. It has to do with all these contextual factors that we don't really talk about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, simply that, take the risk and embark on that journey. Embark on that journey. And I think in, in my way of answering that question, there's a level of confidence that I would tell, I would tell whoever um, would be asking about that. Yeah. You have to be firm. You have to be firm, but also confident that you believe that the power of therapy is monumental. Mm. Monumental not only for the clinician, but also for the clients as well. I think what spoke to me about what you said was that you said that it's take a risk. It reminds me 
about the entire concept of our faith believing in god like is a leap of faith like having that faith to like i don't have everything figured out i don't know everything about god and sometimes maybe i have doubts and fears but believing him regardless having the faith to show up to mass when you don't feel close to christ having the courage to pray the rosary when you're like i don't know if this means anything it's the the act of doing it even when you're even when you're unsure even when you're scared like i've i've gone to therapy a few times in my life and i was scared every time i did it like i was never like yeah i got this i totally got this i was always like i don't know about this and it was amazing every single time that i did it it's taking like you said it's taking that risk it's taking that that leap of faith to be like all right i can do this like maybe i don't have it figured out what exactly it's gonna be but i'm gonna have faith that it is gonna be good at the end of the day exactly and so yeah i just i wouldn't listen to her words everyone who's listening to this or listeners that if you're on the fence and you're feeling like you're questioning hey maybe maybe i should check this out i don't think you'll regret it i really don't think you'll regret it and adding on to what anna said there are some clients that i i worked with that in the beginning they were so opposed to it so opposed that to was it me. <laughs> <laughs> where you know we would sit in silence for the whole entire session and i think for for my for my consistency and you know telling them like, hey like if you don't want to talk i will be here mm. i will be here sitting right here i'm probably reading something and i tell them whenever you're ready i'm ready wow some sessions it would consist of clients really being prideful and saying yeah i'm not gonna talk to you right straight up straight up i'm not gonna talk to you wow. and then there just comes a point where the silence is very intense and they begin to reveal things that they don't reveal to a lot of people in their life and it's in those moments where i feel christ really in that room and at the center of of the work that's being done in front of me wow and then by the time of discharge i usually ask them like hey like what did you think what do you think of these past six months what do you think of this past year mm. and they often say chelsea like i i wish it didn't end Mm. right so in the beginning yes it's 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 terrifying it's anxiety provoking but trust me like those that are listening to this episode right now take the risk and dive head first in the sea of faith that is being offered to you and and trust god in in all aspects of your life all the uncertainty he will take over well thank you chels thank you for encouraging our listeners um but before we end the podcast we're bringing back our beloved segment um 200 deep questions i know last week it was a little different um 200 deep questions you know the drill you know what it is you know what to do <laughs> i do i do <laughs> <laughs> um pick a number between one and 200 and we'll ask you a deep question 27 Ooh, ooh i dig it i dig it i dig it number 27 asks would you relocate for love give me some context like what state okay or, you okay know. Cause I'm okay. So theoretically speaking, um, again, for I think it's implying romantic, right, Kev? Like, I, I, I guess we can interpret it that way. Kevin's playing with the dog right now. <laughs> Sorry, it's, yeah, she's uh, um, yeah, she's giving her treats. <laughs> yeah, like that. theoretically speaking, um, 
you're you're in a you're in a committed relationship you're mm-hmm. in a relationship with someone and say they get a job offer somewhere else would you relocate for love i go. wouldn't it would be very tempting for me to say yes like i'll go wherever you know my my person is working at but family is really important to me mm-hmm. family is very important to me my work is really important to me i'm not allowed to work outside of california once i get this license um but more than that in trials and tribulations and in, in any type of relationship i i think i'm at that point where i know very firmly that god will find a way and i take comfort and peace in knowing that so thank you chels for being on this episode um and your and your discernment and willingness to say yes i know that it's not always the easiest thing to come on here and be vulnerable and share um your life story and your faith journey and just maybe some things that have been difficult for you. Um, but I know that through your testimony and through the words that you spoke through this podcast that others were able to meet Christ in some way or another. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for, for sharing with us and and your willingness to say yes, because it's really not an easy it's thing not to easy do. not easy to do this. And I echo all of Anna's sentiments. And I think that, it's just so amazing to have someone like you on this um, as a therapist, as a marriage and family therapist. I think we do definitely need more um, individuals like yourself that are just so passionate and driven about this topic matter. And can I just say that you, I mean, just hearing your voice just calms me down. Aww, so it's like, yeah. it's meant, it's like you're meant to be um, in the role that you are just because just how, and I've, and when we asked you to be on this podcast before we, and you know how amazing you are, we just affirmed you and thank you for being such a great, role model and influence and just bringing through who you are and just how you oh my goodness (laughs) um she's like yeah you're right um yeah just thank you for for being you and for for just living your life in a way that brings people towards christ yeah um yeah i want to i want to thank both of you as well for for inviting me to be on this podcast um it's it's really outside of my comfort zone to be honest with you it's really vulnerable for me and i just believe in the fruits that can come out of this. Amen. And if I can, if God can use me to be part of that in any way that I can, then I have to say yes. Mm. I have to say yes. Mm-hmm. And I have to let all the fear, all the anxiety, all of that just melt away because everything that we're doing is not because of me. It's not because of you. It's not because of the people that are listening, but more so it's because we are extending <laughs> the love that Christ has instilled in us in a way that can inspire love in other people. Amen. She said that. Thing she said that. That's the last thing. Oh. Oh. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, are there any socials you'd like to plug if people want to get connected with you? How can they find you? Yeah. Um, I just have an Instagram right now, and my username is my beloved speaks. Where did that come from, by the way? Yeah. Uh, Song of Songs. Song of Songs. Yeah. What inspired it to be your Instagram username? Um, there's a beautiful passage that just talks about um, my beloved speaks and says to me, arise my love, my fair one, and come away with me. So uh, we do have a testimony this week. Um, this testimony, as always, we will keep anonymous, but Kevin is going to read it. So the person who submitted this wrote, first off, I just want to tell you guys that you're doing an amazing job as vessels of God's word. The Holy Spirit may find a way to say something through this podcast, and I always find myself with some thoughts to sit on after I listen. 
I was just listening to the episode with Katie Sullivan where you talked about letting God with the Holy Spirit work through you and the testimony mentioned traveling abroad. I heard those words as I boarded my plane to begin my study abroad journey in Rome. And at a time in my life where the Spirit has revealed itself to me in amazing ways and has told me, for lack of a better term, to, quote, let go and let God, end quote, I don't know what the next four months have in store for me. But as long as I allow God to work through me like he works through you guys, there is nothing that can stop me. Keep up the good work, and I can't wait to see what the Holy Spirit has planned for my time in Rome and the rest of this MDD season. Well, thank you so much to this brother in Christ, and um, just know that, you know, just trust in the Spirit, and we hope that you enjoy your study abroad in Rome, and um, even Chelsea, I know, has been to Rome uh, as of recently, and it's a beautiful city, the Eternal City, um, very holy place, yeah. um, and you can feel it. You can just you know you know when you go to a place and you know that it's just God's so present. Yeah. God's so present there, you know. And so um, enjoy your study, study hard, but enjoy <laughs> enjoy your um, your study in Rome. And so and thank you so much for your support and for listening to the podcast. We're so glad that it's touched you in some way. Yeah. Um, I echo what Kevin said. Just thank you so much for, for your testimony and pray for us. Please continue praying for us as we pray for you. Um, if you would like to submit your testimony, you can do so at the link in our bio on our Instagram. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. This has been Modern Day Disciples. Make sure to like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at MDD Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at MDD Pod. Happy Sunday. And get your booty to church. Bye. Bye. Guys. Yeah. Oh, you're still here. Are we all still here? Why are we whispering? I don't know. I kind of dig it. I dig it too. You want to go to church?